0: Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It is a solo mailbag episode. Matthew Penny uh, ended up having to do some family stuff for the holidays this year. So it's just me talking about the NBA draft this week. Sorry, I know that everyone on the show listens for Penny. He is just the best. uh, And we wish him a very, very Merry Christmas, as always. But you just get me today. The two things that I need to remind you to, to do before we move into some of the questions here, I got something like 50 questions. Uh, thank you guys so much for reaching out with such great uh great fodder for podcasting. It's so nice that you guys are always willing to help on that front uh, and participate in the production of the show. Uh, the two things I have to remind you to do though, go to theathletic.com slash game theory. I believe there's a $24 deal uh, for 12 months for new subscribers. If you go to athletic.com slash game theory, you can subscribe to The Athletic as a new subscriber for $24 for a year. So go do that. It's a really good way to support the Show. Uh, The best way to go support the show right now, though, is absolutely to go subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're closing in on 1,000. YouTube subscribers which uh, was absolutely my loftiest goal coming into the end of the year here was to end up with a thousand subscribers on that YouTube channel so please go subscribe to the YouTube channel Uh, that is just a phenomenal easy no cost no money whatsoever uh, way to support the podcast you get to see me you get to see Matt you get to see all of the great guests that come on this show and talk about basketball and movies and all of the other bullshit with me Okay, let's dive into the questions. I, I got a really good one to start here from Matt Moderno, who hosts the Believe Wizards podcast. Uh, he said, if you could have one 2022 podcast or prospect fill in for Matt Penny as a podcast guest host, who would it be and why? His example was that he'd love to get Marching uh to co-host a podcast with him. Uh, if I could get one podcast fill-in guest host that is a prospect in the 2022 draft, it would definitely be Taryn Armstrong, just because I've talked to Taron Armstrong. Uh, and I know that like his mind operates at a level that is ridiculous when it comes to basketball. Uh, he's one of the smartest basketball minds as a teenager that I've gotten a chance to speak to. Just a very, very impressive, intelligent human being who can, uh, break down basketball, at least when he plays it, uh, at a level that is like explainable and, uh, you know, easily digestible, uh, the way that he can kind of see the second and third level of the defense as a passer, all all the things that you would expect from someone who plays the game like Taron Armstrong, the six foot five point guard over at Cal Baptist, uh, out of Tasmania over here in Australia, uh, Everything you would expect for people that have seen him play as an unbelievable passer, incredibly high feel for the game. All of that stuff translates to conversation with him. I think he'd be awesome uh, as a person that would fill in for Matt Penny. And Penny's going to have to watch out. Uh, Taron Armstrong might be coming for a spot uh, if he ever, if he ever makes the move back to Australia. Okay. The, the real good first question here that I think really dives into a large swath of what this 2022 NBA draft uh, is all about and where it kind of ranks in the hierarchy of other classes that we've seen over the course of the last few years. So isolated listener, uh, I'm not going to even try and spell that Twitter handle. It's WGTN Prager. Uh, we'll, we'll go there. we uh, What would the top four 2022 dudes, where would they rank in the 2021 NBA draft? So essentially asking, where would Paulo Boncaro, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey rank in the 2021 NBA draft class? So I pulled up my 2021 rankings for people who forget. I ended up having Cade Cunningham in tier one all to himself. Uh, For people who are unfamiliar with my draft rankings, I... Uh, reserved tier one for guys that I think are truly elite of the elite prospects. Cade Cunningham, uh, the last guys before him, I believe may have been DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic uh, in that draft class uh, guys that are just like hyper elite prospects. I didn't have any tier one guys in the 2021 NBA draft prospect uh, process, including Anthony Edwards, Lamelo ball, all of those guys. So, I would not have any tier one prospects in the 2022 NBA draft as of right now. I'm sure that Penny and I, at the end of the season, will probably go through this and answer this question uh, in a bit more detail uh, and try and rank prospects compared to other draft classes and all of that fun stuff. Because that's a really good kind of gauge in terms of how good these prospects are Uh, as we kind of dive deeper and deeper into, uh, the NBA draft season. But I would say that I certainly would not have any prospect in the 2021 NBA draft or any in the, in the 2022 NBA draft class in my top three in the 2021 class. So I had Cade Cunningham one, Jalen Suggs two, Evan Mobley three, Jalen Green four, uh, I would not have any of Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, Jaden Ivey within that top three. I think that you can make a case that Jabari Smith is pretty close right now for where I am uh, to that Jalen Green-ish level. I would still probably... Take Jalen Green, even given the kind of concerns that we've seen, removing that, removing the context of his struggles early on with the Houston Rockets, just remembering what he was with the G League Ignite last year as a high level scorer uh, who put up a bunch of points and had an immediately translatable skill set uh, in terms of shooting, shot creation, ability to get to step backs, uh, explosive athletic ability, body control, everything like that. I frankly think I would still rank Jalen Green just slightly ahead of the Jabari Smith, Paulo Banqueiro, uh class at, at this point. So uh, I think that once you get into all of Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Scotty Barnes, I think that I would probably take Paulo over where I had, Paulo and Jabari Smith over where I had. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Scotty Barnes last year in that third tier, kind of all to themselves, whether or not I would take Chet and Jaden Ivy. I think that those two right now are pretty close to that level. I think I would probably default more toward Chet Holmgren being ahead of that group. Uh, so it, it'd be a ranking of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Followed by Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and then uh, I think I would have both Kaminga and Barnes ahead of Jaden Ivy right now. So uh, it's a it's a weaker class at the top. I think that that's the best way that I can frame this. Uh, it's just a very very tricky class right now. Uh, to evaluate if you have a top, you know, five pick. If your team is going to end up with a top two pick in this class, I don't think it's quite as strong as what the normal draft is. And if we're going back to that uh, 2020 NBA draft class with Lamelo Ball, with Anthony Edwards, with um, you know all of those guys. I think that I I would feel like LaMelo Ball is a level ahead of where I had, uh, where I have all of uh, Paulo, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, but I, I would say that I would have. Paulo Bancaro and Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, certainly ahead of where I had James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards at number two and number three. So I hope that that kind of gives a gauge of where we're at in this 2022 draft class by comparing them to the 2021 and 2020 classes. Okay. Let's go to this next one here. The best Guard defender in the 2022 class is essentially the topic here. And Alex, whose handle is Draft Film School, asks the question, is Dyson Daniels the best guard defender in this class? Look, uh, among players that I think are likely to be selected, I think Dyson Daniels is really up there. If I was kind of crafting like a top group, he would definitely be in it. Uh, Let's say that Kadari Richmond is probably out of this conversation because he has not been nearly good enough at this point to where he looks like he'll be a 2022 prospect. I think he's shaping up more as a 2023 prospect. If he ever figures out the offensive side, I probably would have Kadari Richmond uh, a level ahead of Dyson Daniels, if we're being honest. But his offense is just nowhere near good enough at this stage to really be able to enter the 2022 draft class. Uh, In terms of best guard defenders. I would say that Johnny Davis also stands out. I thought he's had a really, really strong defensive season for Wisconsin as well. And we'll talk about him uh, in a second here with a follow-up question. That's going to be coming, but I really like Johnny Davis, but the thing about Dyson Daniels is that I think that his size and his length and his toughness and his overall quickness, whereas Johnny Davis is more of a strong defender, Dyson Daniels uh, is a bit quicker and I I think even slightly more tenacious on that end. I think he's going to be able to handle lead guards uh, in a way that... Uh, Johnny Davis may not be able to or players like Johnny Davis may not be able to Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys that even really fit into this conversation here it's kind of hard to even find some in, in this class I don't think this is the best class When it comes to like high level guard defenders, there's no Davion Mitchell in this class, in my view. I I don't even think that anyone really hits the high level defensive upside on the perimeter of Jalen Suggs, uh, who ranked at number two on my board last year in large part due to his uh, potential defensive acumen. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the question here from Alex over at Draft Film School is apt. I think that. I probably would have Dyson Daniels as of right now uh, as the top guard defender. I love the way that he slides his feet. I think he's switchable one through three. Uh, I think that he's really disruptive with his length at the point of attack. Uh, the way that he handled, for instance, the, the thing that stood, stands out to me is often our first impression, right? And the first game that I watched Dyson Daniels play with The G League Ignite this year was against South Bay. Uh, They played against Mac McClung and some of those guys. And look, Mac McClung is not an NBA level player, in my opinion. But uh, I mean, Dyson Daniels just completely and utterly shut him out of the game in such an impressive way. He's been awesome Uh, throughout the course of the G League season defensively. I think I'm a little bit higher on Dyson Daniels than where the general consensus is overall right now. Uh, I love his passing ability. I think he's more of a secondary ball handler. And if he's going to be that the shooting is going to have to work itself out. I think that the key for him is just playing with better bend and that includes, uh, as a ball handler as well as, as, as a shooter as well. Uh, he just doesn't get any bend and it just looks so stiff and mechanical coming out of his hands. Uh, I think that once he gets with a great shooting coach, they can kind of fix some of these issues. I don't see anything wrong with the touch with Dyson Daniels. It's more uh, just mechanical in, in terms of what he has to figure out. Nothing's broken there. So I see Dyson Daniels as like a good fifth man, sixth man. And you know, at the end of the day in this draft class, to me, that's like end of the lottery at the very least top 20 level. Uh, so, Dyson Daniels, I'm a big fan. Uh, frankly, I think outside of Scoot Henderson, he's been the G League Ignite prospect that I've been most impressed with throughout the course of this season. So uh, yeah, I, I really like what I've seen and a large part of that is the defensive side of the floor. Okay. Okay. This next question here is about the Pistons. It is from Demon21. Uh, this question is realistically just kind of representative of a lot of different questions I got about the Pistons. Uh, it felt like Pistons fans are really engaged in the draft process right now already for obvious reasons. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around the Pistons right now, but the team is not very good and I don't think has been very well built. So uh, there's going to be a, a real enthusiasm, I think, to get better pieces that fit around Cade Cunningham. And this question kind of gets it that uh, idea. So can you share some thoughts on what you would do slash like to see the Pistons do with their locked in top five pick and over the course of the next year? Would you like to see Jeremy Grant traded second year guys progress or lack thereof? Jabari the best option with Cade and their other non-elite shooters and athletes so essentially what Demon21 is asking here uh, would I trade Jeremy Grant would I take Jabari Smith at number one who would be my number one prospect right now for the Detroit Pistons Um, and and what in general would I do I think the number one thing the Pistons have to do over the course of the next year is fine shooting. Uh, this offense is so messy anytime that you watch them. Uh, There's no space for Cade Cunningham, no space for the guards to operate at all. Uh, It's a bunch of athletic dudes out there. There's some tough defenders out there uh, on the court. Jeremy Grant, I think just still doesn't quite get the respect as a shooter as what his percentages would indicate that he should uh, just because NBA players have been playing against him for so long that I just don't think that they really see him as this elite level shooter or even a great shooter, uh, even though he's turned into someone that I trust to make 35 to 37% of his threes uh, over a reasonable sample size. So the first thing for me, it has to be shooting. You have to go out and get shooting. I would probably trade Jeremy Grant at the deadline, personally. Uh, His value is never going to be higher, if only because he's going to be on an expiring contract next year. And a team will give up more in the same way that the Nuggets gave up more to get two years of Aaron Gordon, as opposed to one year of a big uh, forward who has shown some ability to play defense in the playoffs, as well as create his own shot now. So... Denver gave up quite a bit. They gave up RJ Hampton and an additional first round pick for Aaron Gordon. I think you're looking at something in a similar price point for Jeremy Grant, maybe even a touch higher. I think that they could realistically get two legit first round level talents for Jeremy Grant in addition to maybe... Maybe like a semi-interesting project, someone like that. I don't know that I would expect like a great prospect plus two first round picks. Maybe it could be a great prospect and a first round pick for Jeremy Grant. But the things that I would target in a deal for Grant are assets long-term that I can use to make work with Cade Cunningham, as well as shooting. Or frankly, another thing this team needs, in my opinion, is a really good rim-running, rim-protecting spacer uh, as a vertical spacer uh, that can shoot. Someone who can run, pick and rolls, who can pick and pop with Cade Cunningham or who can dive to the rim and be a legitimate threat as a roller. And to me, all you could make a case that all three of Paulo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, all three of those guys, in some respect or another, do fit that mold. Uh, I think that Chet Holmgren's probably going to end up uh, being a little bit lesser of an offensive threat than Jabari Smith, but he's going to be much better on defense. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how teams decide to go about evaluating this group. I think more than anything, the way this draft shakes out at the top is going to be dependent upon which team gets the number one overall pick and what do they value uh, from the players uh, who have very differing skills. Me personally, I agree with Demon 21. I-, I would take Jabari Smith at number one if I was the Pistons. Uh, I know he's more of a four as opposed to a five, but he he is an elite level shooter. He It's hard to overestimate how good of a shooter he is for his age at 19 years old. He actually, I think, doesn't turn 19 uh, until later on next year. So he's only 18 right now. Um, it, it's really hard to overestimate how good of a shooter he is for how young he is. So when I look at what the Pistons need, uh, it, it, the shooting is just such a massive... Area that they have to improve because uh, that's where Cade Cunningham thrives. He thrives as a pick-and-roll creator who can spray the ball out to shooters. And for him to be as successful as he's been thus far with a roster that just does not fit what his skill set is in any way, shape, or form, I think Pistons fans should be ecstatic even though they have not won many games. I think they've won six games this year. I would be really pumped about what I've seen from Cade Cunningham so far. I think all of the athleticism and ball handling has translated in the best possible way. I think that over his last nine games, 10 games, he's averaging like 20 points, uh, six assists, six rebounds. Like it's really remarkable what he's been able to do over the course uh, of his early career, since he's gotten back from that ankle injury early in the year. So The best thing for me is I would want shooting around Cade Cunningham. Uh, I think that additionally, Jabari Smith's athleticism does translate really well next to Sadiq Bey if Sadiq Bey ends up being a longer-term keeper. And even though he has not shot the ball well to start the year, I do think I would continue down the road with Sadiq Bey because he is a player that, while he's not a crazy athlete, I do see him as someone who is strong enough to defend multiple positions at the three and the four, uh, who I do trust to shoot on some level and hopefully be able to make some higher-level decisions throughout the course of his career, maybe as he slotted back into a role that has a bit less usage than what he's currently forced to do with the Pistons right now. So I, I would... I think I would take Jabari Smith. I think he has the highest upside of anyone in this class. And I think that he's a really nice fit with Cade Cunningham with their front court pieces. Uh, the the question for me is more Jabari Smith also fits with Isaiah Stewart. I should say as well, just because Isaiah Stewart is someone uh, that isn't necessarily the best athlete, but the more that I watch Isaiah Stewart and Cade Cunningham offensively, the more I do think that Isaiah Stewart's really going to have to shoot the ball long-term because he's just not at all a threat as a vertical spacer in pick and rolls. He just ends up kind of taking up space in that mid range area where Cade kind of really likes to operate and, that's a concern to me long term. I really don't like the shape of this Pistons roster around Cade Cunningham. I frankly don't know that there are any like, oh, my God, you have to keep this guy uh, players on this roster. I would continue down the road to Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart. But the rest of the guys on this team, I, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be a part of the next Detroit Pistons like playoff team or uh, certainly maybe the next Detroit Pistons top four seed in the East. So, uh, that's kind of where I'm at on the Pistons. I, I would look to move Jeremy Grant at the deadline. I would look to move, uh, as many of these, you know, older veteran players for whatever assets I could, and then I would try to rebuild this offseason via free agency where they project to have quite a bit of cap space, and I would really focus on shooting, athleticism, and defense. I would not focus on uh, some of the things that Troy Weaver has focused on thus far as a general manager. Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, another guy that I got a lot of questions about, and I do want to answer at least one of them, because I think Johnny Davis is really interesting. Zach Tran uh, at Zachary Tran 19 asked, can you see Johnny Davis moving into the late lottery slash mid first round discussion by the end of the year? If so, why? If not, why not? I'll be honest. I think Johnny Davis is there right now. Uh, I would probably have Johnny Davis right around the number 15 mark on my personal board. The why is that his athleticism and strength combination, I think, translates really, really well to the next level. He's somewhere in the 6'4", 6'5", range. He has long arms. He's strong as hell. He's tenacious. He's switchable one through three, I think, defensively. He could have some problems with some of the quicker ones at the NBA level, but I do don't really see him uh, having too much trouble with twos and threes. And I think that his strength level particularly might even allow him to be a manageable player down onto the threes and fours that are a little bit bigger and longer than he is. So on the defensive end, I'm a big fan. Offensively, we've seen some real shot creation stuff uh, that I think will translate pretty well to the next level. Not to say that he's going to be like a primary option for anyone, But I do think that he is someone that will be able to attack in a straight line off of a closeout whenever he gets a reversal. He's going to be able to knock down shots, I think, at a pretty reasonable clip. I I kind of see him as a guy that if you're in that 10 to 15 range, I think he's a totally reasonable pick right now. And the other part of the Johnny Davis experience that I think has been really, really good is the consistency. Uh, He's just been a very, very good player throughout the course of the year. For the Wisconsin Badgers, you just kind of watch some of his games. I've been very impressed. Like Mike DeVoe caught him in the game that Wisconsin played against Georgia Tech. But like uh, that's going to happen. Like Mike DeVoe is one of the better, more polished offensive players in the league area in the country. You go and you watch the game against Houston. I thought he was awesome. You look through his stat lines. 24 points against Ohio State, 23 against Indiana, 25 against Marquette, 30 against Houston, 21 against Texas A&M. These are all really good high major teams that he's had an immense amount of success against. And uh, Johnny Davis really is one of the few guys in the country this year that has had that level of consistent, you know, even 15 point per game success uh, against the highest level competition, let alone 20. Like I, I feel pretty good about Johnny Davis. You look at the way that, Uh, just from a base level, his skill set should look to translate. He's a, let's call him a 35 to 38% three-point shooter. He's shooting 83% from the foul line. Uh, He's a good defender. He makes reasonably high level passing reads. I don't think he's a great passer. I think he's a good enough passer though. He doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, He's switchable on on the defensive end. He's strong. He has a relatively long wingspan and uh, he has NBA level athleticism. So anywhere that you look, you know, eight, nine, 10, all the way down to 15, I think that's a pretty reasonable place to have Johnny Davis ranked right now. Uh, The consistency though, is what's been most impressive to me because uh, again, you just look around the country. I mean, even the players that we classify as having been really good and really consistent this year, I mean, they, they've they even had some, like, crappy games, right? Like, uh, another player that stood out is Ben Matherin out of Arizona. I mean, you kind of look through his metrics here, right? Like, he had a solid 16-point game against Michigan. Like, that was fine, I thought. Um, he had 14 against Cal Baptist. He had 11 against Northern Colorado. Like... Uh, he had six against Sacramento State. He had eight against Northern Arizona. He's had his best games in big moments. Like he had 30 against Illinois. Uh, he had 25 against Wichita State. Like I really like Ben Matherin. He's another guy that I would look at in that eight to 15 range. But I honestly don't think anyone has helped himself more this year in terms of NBA draft stock than Johnny Davis. Uh, he was a guy that scouts were interested in and intrigued to see. Coming into the year, but he has fully emerged into a potential lottery pick, I think. Okay. next up, this question comes from John Hughes TX. If you could take any college player and place them on another squad with the intention of getting a better evaluation on them, who would you pick and where would you put them? Uh, This is kind of an easy question for me to answer. To be honest, uh, I didn't really have to think a lot about this. The answer is Jalen Duran. I would take him out of Memphis. Where would I put him? I would put him on any team that has a reasonable point guard. I think Baylor stands out as a situation that would be excellent for him because Baylor runs a lot of ball screens. They have their bigs dive to the rim. They short roll their bigs. Occasionally, they ask them to make some passing reads. I, I think that that scheme would fit really, really well with Jalen Duren, not to say that they need some high level, uh, you know, forward slash center because Flo Thamba and Jonathan Chamo Chachua have done really well so far this year, but I do think that an upgrade there wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And I think for Jalen Duren, uh, we'd see everything that we need to see from him. Because right now at Memphis, Jalen Duren does not have a point guard. And the thing that we've seen from him when he has gotten reasonable service out of ball screens, and by service, I mean uh, passes out of short rolls, passes uh, on lobs, particularly toward the rim. Durant has been an elite finisher this year. He has put up numbers. You go back, you watch that Alabama game. I think that that was one of the best signs that we saw that Jalen Duran is still maybe not quite as polished as what we thought he was, but he is someone that can make an extremely high level impact, if only because he is dealing with physical tools that so few people on planet Earth have. He just turned 18 years old. He's eleven. He has a five wingspan. Uh, he is capable of uh, at least like handling the ball a little bit. He doesn't have any post moves, but if you short roll him, uh, he can make some passing reads. He can put the ball on the deck once or twice to get to the basket. I think that this is a no-brainer. Like I, I would frankly love to see Jalen Duran in a different situation. That's no slight at Penny Hardaway. That's no slight at their coaching staff. They just don't have a point guard, and I don't think that we're seeing the optimal usage of what we could see from Jalen Duren, which kind of leads us into this next question here, which I think is interesting. It comes from it's Justin Ramos. He asks, how does Jalen Duren compare to other lottery centers of recent years? Specifically, how does he comp to guys in the mid lotto like Wendell Carter, Onyeka Kongwu?" uh, or surefire studs like Evan Mobley or DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I see him as a level below uh, Evan Mobley pretty easily. I see him as a level below DeAndre Ayton pretty easily. Uh, he is somehow smaller than DeAndre Ayton and just doesn't even have the skill or the movement, lateral agility that DeAndre Ayton did. Uh I do see Jalen Duran more as a, it's funny, you know, I I don't mean to compare them just because both of them went to Memphis, but I I do see him and James Wiseman as being somewhat similar with Duran maybe being slightly ahead uh, just because he's physically stronger. uh, And I think that he moves just a little bit better than what James Wiseman does. Uh, In the case of these mid-lottery centers, you know, comparing him to Wendell Carter is interesting because Wendell Carter is somewhere six foot foot four wingspan. Just doesn't have the explosive pop that Jalen Duran does, but does move his feet probably just as well. Uh, I think that Wendell Carter was probably a little bit more skilled than what Jalen Duran was, but again, doesn't have quite the same level of physical tools that Duran does. <sighs> not Duran is nowhere near where Carter was as a shooter coming out of Duke and I even thought that there were some inconsistency questions with Wendell Carter coming out of Duke as a shooter. I wasn't quite as high on him uh as, you know, someone for instance I remember Cole's Wicker when he was on the podcast would talk a lot about Wendell Carter's potential shooting ability. Uh Onyeka Kongwu, I do. Th- I even liked Onyeka Kongwu a lot. I think that Jalen Duran's a better prospect. Uh, similar level rim runner. Onyeka uh, certainly has more vertical pop, but uh, I mean, in terms of standing reach, Jalen Duren probably has five or six inches on him. So that vertical pop, Concern just kind of goes away. I think Duren's a much better rim protector than what Onyeka uh, Okongwu projects to be at the NBA level. And again, this comes with someone that likes Onyeka Okongwu uh, as a potential playoff guy long term. Uh, I think Okongwu probably moves a little bit better on the perimeter. I thought he was a really high level defender coming out of USC. Uh the lack of size, I think, for a Kongwu is concerning, and then you throw in the injury concerns that were there uh, for a Kongwu. I would say Duran is kind of just like a bigger Anyeka Kongwu uh, with maybe a bit less lateral agility, uh, a bit more rim protection, and honestly, whenever you account for the size and the uh, just the length difference that Duran is going to bring to the table. We're talking something like three inches in terms of height, five inches in terms of wingspan Uh, on, on top of, you know, him being explosive enough for that size as it is. I, I think that's, I mean, that's literally the difference between having a 40 inch vertical wingspan or vertical leap, which we consider to be elite in terms of explosiveness versus 32 inches in terms of, vertical leap which would be below average or average for a center at the very least. So um there's just such an enormous size difference there with someone like a Kongwu and length difference uh for Duran that I would personally take Jalen Duran over a Nyeka Kongwu. I'm not selling Duran uh even though what we've seen from the Memphis situation thus far has not been particularly strong. I think that that's more of a situational factor, as I said in the previous question, then I think it is a uh, factor of him not being good. I do think that he is not as polished uh, in terms of his skill level and in terms of his feel as maybe we expect, or I expected maybe coming into the year, but there's still so much there in terms of tools that I'm almost willing, uh, I don't want to say to write this year off. I think it's certainly a part of the sample, but I think that we're definitely dealing with imperfect information when it comes to Jalen Duran. Okay, next question here comes from Bomb Boards. Uh, Maxwell over at Bomb Boards. Uh, which high expectations prospect with a disappointing start, i.e. Peyton Watson, Usman Dieng, Max Christie, are you still most optimistic about? I think that my answer on that is going to be Max Christie. And I think that that is going to be because, A, we've started to see some signs from Max Christie. Uh, Last night, he was really, really good. Uh, I know that he has a 48.4 true shooting percentage right now, but against Oakland, he dropped 17 points. Uh, He had 11 on six shots against Louisville. Uh, He had 18 against Butler earlier this year. There have been some flashes there. And as we know, just throughout the history of the Michigan state basketball program, these guys do tend to get better. They tend to uh, really make leaps throughout the course of the year. Whatever Tom Izzo does, he builds toward the end of the season, not toward the beginning of the season. Uh, I think that just based off of that track record, I would take Max Christie. I think that the UCLA rotation is probably just a little bit too cluttered. And I thought that Peyton Watson was kind of more raw than Max Christie was coming into the year. Uh, Another guy for this might be Bryce McGowans. I think that Nebraska situation just might not be very good. Frankly, I don't like what I've seen from Alonzo Verge at the point guard position. Uh, I think that McGowan's going to have to take a ton of contested, tough pull-up jumpers, and I'm not sure that he's a good enough shooter yet to make those consistently. Also, he's struggled around the rim a little bit, so I don't think I would take McGowan's. Um, Usman Dieng, he, he's shown some flashes for New Zealand. I've watched all of their games. You know, it's just a limited role there, and it's harder in the NBL. The NBL is a more skilled league. It's a tougher league. Uh, I think it's just more difficult to be successful there uh, than it is in college. But it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year he was playing really well because uh, I think that, Just in general, the NBL does prepare guys at a real high level uh, just because of the physicality that it presents. So as you get used to that throughout the course of your first professional season, uh, we've seen even guys like Terrence Ferguson, uh, who did not like play exceedingly well over there. uh, They got better throughout the course of the season. LaMelo LaMelo Ball got better throughout the course of the season, Um, you know. I think that there's just an adjustment period to playing over here in Australia that uh, it, it just isn't quite as big of a shock as it is uh, to playing college basketball. Uh, the other guy that is interesting within this conversation, I do think, is A.J. Griffin out of Duke. Uh, we have seen some flashes from him as well. Uh, I, will be very interested to see how much we see out of A.J. Griffin uh, as the season progresses. In two of his last three games against South Carolina State, he had 19 points on seven of eight shooting against Appalachian State. He had 11 points. Look, I, I don't know what to do with A.J. Griffin yet, but I, I think that you know, he might be the highest upside guy out of this group that I think could really take a leap by the end of the year. I think my answer would still be Max Christie for this question. I'm just very high on Max Christie is people that have followed the podcast have known for a while now. Uh, It seems like with Christie, it's, He's getting the shots that he wants, and they're just kind of not falling often. Uh, He's gotten a lot of open threes that he's just kind of missed, and I think he's a good enough shooter to make them. So my pick would still be Christie, but I I think that I would understand an A.J. Griffin pick. I think that uh, I would also understand a Bryce McGowan's pick if you're higher on his shooting uh, as a pull-up guy than I am. Okay, from John Low Forty, uh, who is the best NBL draft prospect, and why is it Ariel Hookporty? Uh, I am uh, I am not really an Ariel Hookporty guy, unfortunately. Uh, I, I will give a ranking of three prospects at least. I know that um, Ariel Hookporty you know, is someone that teams do have some interest. in in uh, to, to an extent obviously he got invited to the NBA draft combine last year he's still only 19 years old I personally don't love him as a prospect uh, but I will give a quick top three on guys that I do like in the NBL and I think it's a pretty interesting NBL group I think the best prospect is clearly Usman Dieng I think the number two prospect is Hugo Basson out of both of them play for the New Zealand Breakers now I think that my third favorite prospect might come as a surprise. Uh, I, I think that it is probably Luke Travers uh, who plays for the Perth Wildcats right now. Uh, he is a six foot eight forward. He's like 210 pounds. He's pretty mobile and switchable defensively. Uh, he can knock down threes, and he just plays really well within a team concept. I know that he hasn't shot well so far this year, but you watch him. He knows how to play out there. He knows how to move the ball. Um, he knows how to defend. He makes really strong rotations. I think that would be my guy. Uh, if you made me pick a third, to be honest, I see him as like a maybe draftable prospect one day. Um, but I, I would take him over Ariel Hookporty even personally. On uh, you know Hugo Basson, I guess I should note him. He's putting up big scoring numbers. You watch the tape with Basson; a lot of the scoring tends to come in bursts. Like he'll go, you know. For instance, at the end of the game that they played against Southeast Melbourne, uh, in four minutes, he probably had 16 points at the end of the game as they were trying to make this crazy comeback. He made a couple of really impressive step-back threes. He made at least one more off the catch. He had a couple of drives that were impressive. Then you kind of watch him for the other 30 minutes of the game, and the whole sum of the game tape isn't as impressive with Basson. So... I would just like to see more consistency throughout the course of games, but anyone who is putting up the numbers that Hugo Basson is in uh, the NBL, I think is certainly worth tracking and has a chance to be a late first round pick. Uh, I would not uh, begrudge anyone placing him there. He's averaging 18 points and shooting 40% from three right now. So I think that those numbers alone uh, through five games really do Uh, at least place him at the end of the first round radar but uh, he's a six foot three scoring guard right now and and i think that that is a more difficult translation than what uh people people tend to think so uh yeah i I would go who uh usman diang at number one who we you know, six foot nine ball handler uh, who can make some passing reads and I think projects long term as a reasonable shooter. Number two would be Hugo Basson, who I think is a late first round kind of guy. And then anyone else, I think you're talking near the end of the draft right now, in my opinion. Uh, and I think the third guy for me would be Luke Travers. Okay. Coming up near the end here, uh, and I do just want to kind of talk about a couple of prospects that people brought the chucking darts NBA podcast uh, asked me, and this is at chucking darts. How optimistic are you on Jabari Walker? Do you think he will be a league average shooter for a forward? This question comes because Jabari Walker has not shot the bell ball. Well, to start the year, I think he's at like 25% from three. I've never been quite as high on Jabari Walker as some people are. I think he's kind of a stiff athlete and I don't know what the role is going to be like. I don't know that I trust him in space against higher level athletes as guards. Uh, I do trust him a little bit, I guess, as like a weak side rim protector. But if he's not going to be like an elite shooter, like I think if he's a league average shooter, he's probably not an NBA player. Uh, I think that he would have to be an elite shooter. And be in that like 38 to 41, maybe not even 38. Like, you might have to be like 39 to 41 uh, three point range to be an NBA player for me. Uh, He's not like overly big. He's six foot eight. He's 200 pounds. He's basically just like forward sized. And he isn't like some crazy high level passer. I'm. Yeah, you know, he. I think he has some steps to go in his development so far before we start talking about him as a real legitimate prospect. Now, one guy I do want to talk about as a real legitimate prospect is a player that I was very excited about coming into the year. Got like ten percent less excited after some of his games early in the season, but he has come on really, really strong lately. Is Hyunjin Lee. Uh, who is out of South Korea and currently plays for Davidson? So, at MXPA underscore 111 asks, thoughts on Hyungjin Lee? Played really well against Alabama the other day. Overall, a really skilled guard with a nice jumper for six foot seven. Could he sneak into the late first, or is he more clearly a second round guy if he plays this well the rest of the season? So, Hyungjin Lee is the only player returning to college basketball this year that shot, uh, I believe 50, 40, 90, uh, throughout the course of last year. And he shot 46% from three last year. He's shooting 41% from three this year in an even bigger role. Uh, I am an enormous fan. Uh, he has had 17 against Alabama last night. I think he's the best shooter in college basketball. Uh, mm-hmm defensively he knows where to be but he's not a particularly high level defender at this point uh, he does do what he can to be disruptive but I think that that is going to be the negative of him the big key to his shooting though is that he does it off of a variety of different actions he hits them off of pin downs he hits them off flare screens like any sort of movement there's no issue with youngjin Lee he can absolutely shoot I have him as a top 45 guy right now, which puts him you know, in the mix for a potential late first round spot. If this kind of play continues um, the two points that I would bring up outside of the Alabama game, where I agree uh, with this person that he was excellent and I thought he was great. He made four threes. Uh, he had three assists. I think that's another underrated part of his game. He's a really strong team passer. Uh, The other two games against higher level competition that he's played this year came against San Francisco and New Mexico state. I did not think he was great in either of those games against San Francisco. uh, The Dons who are, I believe 12 and one this year, they're a top 35 team in the country. They just kind of slotted Jamari Bouye, who's like a six foot one guard on uh, Hyunjin Lee and said, okay, just shoot over the top of him and try to separate from him. And Lee struggled with that. He struggled with the pressure uh, that Bouye kind of got on him by getting up under him and crawling into his space. I think that's probably a bit of a concern for him. He needs to be able to deal with smaller defenders. He needs to be able to punish them just by shooting over the top. And he didn't really do that against San Francisco. Uh, And then it was much of the same against New Mexico State. Uh, New Mexico State just kind of like out-toughed him. It felt like that's a really, really physical team. Chris Jans, the head coach there, kind of preaches that level of basketball, right? Like that's just kind of who he is. And that's what that program is all about. He got kind of stuck up against some bigger, more physical defenders like Teddy Allen, Donnie Tillman, both of whom were at high majors previously. Uh, Johnny McCants, who's like this six foot seven, you know, bigger, stronger, you know, senior who's been at New Mexico State for a while and plays the center position for the most part. Part, um next to their like other big dude whose name it I think is like McNair or something. Um, so they had more size that they could punish Lee with. And I don't think he really dealt well with that either. Uh, those are the kind of strong NBA level like wings that he's going to be forced to play against. But, Uh, Look, I I do like Hyunjin Lee, and I think that he is a very real NBA prospect in a way that deserves to be talked about more, uh, which is why I highlighted him early in the season. I did have him as a late first coming into the year. Uh, I would say more in the top 45 range, which, like I said to start, uh, really does place him highly uh, in the mix for a potential first round pick. So, That was a lot of questions from you guys. Thank you so much for uh, giving me content to talk about today. That was really great. I really had a great time uh, answering questions. You know, Penny and I are going to do this on every episode going forward. We're going to answer at least three questions. We'll figure out a segment name for it long-term. Maybe we'll do two prospects of the week next week when Penny is back uh, and we get to talk a little bit more about stuff. Uh, Other than that, I I mean, Penny just sent me a – Beautiful, beautiful message uh, that is him drinking a White Claw Hard Seltzer Surge. He's drinking the cranberry flavor. Uh, This man knows me all too well. He knows how much I enjoy White Claw. And uh, everyone shoot Penny a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone else. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.